Romans chapter 1. Uh, Romans 1, verses 16 and 17 today will be our text of Scripture. I had a uh, Facebook friend this week had his wisdom teeth removed. And you might say, well, you know, that's nice. What's the big deal? Well, he delayed having the surgery for six years because he was terrified of having surgery. And got to thinking about it, many Christians treat evangelism the same way, sharing our faith. Do you ever delay or put off telling people about Jesus out of fear because you are afraid of what they might say or you're afraid of what they may think? In fact, I believe most Christians today do not share their faith because they are afraid. As we continue our study through the book of Romans, we see Paul telling us today that he's not afraid to witness. And he tells us why. It's a very powerful reason. It's a very practical reason. And I think we all, as Christians, need to take this to heart. You can share the gospel of Jesus. Share the good news of Jesus with confidence. Trusting God to do His supernatural work. When we put our trust in God and not in our own ability, we can share the good news of Jesus with boldness. Would you please stand as we have the reading of God's holy word this morning? Romans chapter 1. Paul writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Let's pray. Almighty God, it has been such a blessing to be here today as your Spirit has indeed met with us and drawn us into your presence. And we are so grateful for that, God. We are so unworthy of all the blessings you have for us. Now, God, we open our hearts as we open your word and pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. God, this is your word to us. This is your truth for us. So, God, we come today with the assurance that you indeed will speak to us and that your word has the power to transform us. God, embolden us to share the good news of Jesus to a world that's lost and dying in sin. God, embolden us to tell them the good news that Jesus saves. In his name we do pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we've already seen the last couple of weeks through this opening of the letter of Romans, Paul identifies himself. He identifies his apostolic ministry that, that God has placed a calling on him to share the good news of Jesus, not only with the Jews, but also with the Gentiles, those who were not Jewish by heritage. And Paul writes in this opening chapter that he desires so much to go and visit with those folks in Rome. He, is, he had never been to Rome. He, had, he did not plant the church there. He had nothing to do with that directly. But yet, he saw God's hand at work there. And Paul desired to go and visit with them. And he also desired to go and share the gospel. In fact, in verse 15, Paul says that he was eager to preach the gospel. 
He was eager to tell others the good news. And so we have to ask ourselves a question, why was Paul so eager? And why should we be eager to tell people about Jesus? First of all, it's our allegiance to the good news. Allegiance to the good news. Paul says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. The word for shows us that this is connected to what he just said. He was eager to preach because he was not ashamed of the good news of Jesus. And why is that? Why should we as believers not be ashamed of the good news of Jesus? First of all, I believe it's because of our connection with the gospel, specifically our connection with God through the gospel. In other words, that God has done something for us, something miraculous for us, that God has taken us who are sinners by nature. God has taken us who are rebels to the core, and God has chosen to love us in spite of us, and God has chosen to save us. And it is through this gospel that we are connected with God. And so we should never be ashamed of that message. We should be eternally grateful for that message that saves us. The believer's connection should leave us unashamed. But also the believer's commission. We have been entrusted with this saving message that God has chosen to speak through His people to save those who are lost. Paul says in verse 15 that he was eager to preach the gospel. He was eager to tell. He was eager to speak. He could not wait to share verbally what Jesus had done for him and what Jesus could do for those people. We have been given a commission. In fact, we call it the Great Commission where Jesus says to go into all the nations and make disciples. We are to tell others about Jesus Christ, who He is and what He can do for them. People need the Lord. And we've been given a commission. We should never be ashamed of the gospel. But also, the believer's conviction. We should never be ashamed of the gospel because we have a firm conviction, a settled belief about what the gospel is. Verse 1, Paul says, it was the gospel of God. It's God's good news. It belongs to Him. It came from Him. It is divine in origin. The God who has created all things and the God who has created you has a message, a good message. It's the gospel of God. That's our conviction. Paul says in verse 9, also he calls it the gospel of His Son. So it is the good news of God. It's the good news about His Son pertaining to Jesus Christ. And so with that conviction in our hearts that this is the message from God about His Son, we should never be ashamed of that. We should never be afraid to tell people about this sacred hope that we have, this divine hope, this holy hope that comes from God about His Son should never be ashamed because of our allegiance to the good news. You know, people have unashamed devotion to a lot of things in this world. For example, politics. People have unashamed devotion and conviction about that. And by the way, aren't you glad that this election is almost over? 
Aren't you glad that we're going to stop hearing all of these attack ads and seeing all of this hatred spewed on social media, although we know it's going to continue, but at least the election part of it will be behind us for a couple of years anyway. People have unashamed devotion to politicians and political parties. They have unashamed devotion to sporting teams. By the way, did y'all see that game yesterday? <laughs> Speaking of which, we'll talk about miracles, you know. This last-second touchdown to give Kentucky the victory for a change. It's usually the other way around. But we have unashamed devotion to a lot of things. Do we have unashamed devotion to the gospel? Do we have that allegiance to the good news that Paul had that we must have if we're going to make a difference in this world? the allegiance to the gospel, but also we should be eager to tell folks about Jesus because of our assurance of the good news. And we've mentioned that the book of Romans is a very organized, a very structured argument from Paul about Jesus and about the good news. And in fact, we could say that these two verses, 16 and 17, are the thesis statements of the entire book of Romans. We can actually summarize all of Romans in these two verses. And Paul in this tells us that we can be assured of several things about the good news. First of all, it is the powerful proclamation of God. Paul says, verse 16, 4, I am eager to preach because I'm not ashamed of the good news. Why? Because... For it is, what is, the gospel is. The good news is this. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul believed that this gospel message was powerful. In fact, it was so powerful, it could radically transform an individual. It was so powerful, it could take a person who was dead spiritually and make them alive in Christ. It has that much power, and it still does. Paul's not ashamed because the gospel is the power of God, the powerful proclamation. God has ordained that the saving power of the good news of Jesus would change eternal destinies. And God could have ordained any method He so desired to save people. But God has chosen to put a message of hope in your heart so that it would be in your mouth and on your lips so that it could save others as well. God has ordained the preaching of the gospel. God has ordained the telling of this news, this message. He's ordained that as the method by which He will save. And what do we mean by that when Paul talks about salvation in the book of Romans? It could refer to past, present, and future it can refer to something that's already happened for a Christian. If you have put your trust in Jesus and you've cried out to the Lord and you've called upon the name of Jesus, you have been saved already. God has rescued you from your sin. God has, has taken your guilt and placed it on the shoulders of His Son. 
And God has given you the, the faithful obedience of Christ in your place. You've already been saved by uh, God from sin's penalty. But also, we are currently being saved by God from sin's power. God is changing us. He's transforming us. He is doing a powerful work in our lives as Christians. And so, the gospel is the power of God to free us from sin's penalty and to rescue us from sin's power that we would ultimately be saved in the future from sin's presence. That in glory there will be no more sin. There will be no more temptation. There will be no more desires of the flesh. These things will be gone and we will be rescued and we will be saved. Future tense. And the gospel, the, the, the telling, the proclaiming of the good news has the power to do that. It has the power to save. It has the power to continue saving. It's the power to ultimately save in the end. The gospel contains the power of God. It's not the power of your presentation. It's not the charisma of your personality. It is the power of God. And we need not be ashamed of that. Why would we ever be ashamed of God's power? God's life-giving, creative Word. God's Word spoke and all of the universe came into existence. God said, let there be light, and there was. And God says He will save through His Gospel. And it's the powerful proclamation through which we speak it. God moves in and through that message. It is the message Next, Paul speaks about the means, the powerful promise. Paul says, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's the means by which this, this salvation comes to you. It is by believing, by faithing. It's the same word. It's the verb form of faith. What do we mean by faith? Of course, we say believing, but there's really three components to saving faith. There's knowledge. You've got to know the truth. You've got to receive the truth. You've got to hear the truth. There's knowledge. And then there's assent. You have to agree with it. In other words, you have to hear that Jesus is the Son of God and He died on the cross for your sins and that He rose again the third day. You have to hear that and then you have to agree with that. You have to believe that. But you know, that's not enough to save you. Because the Bible says even the demons believe in God. You don't think the devil knows that Jesus is the Son of God? You don't think the devil knows Jesus died on the cross for, for the sins of humanity? You don't think the devil knows Jesus rose again? Come on! Of course he knows that. Of course he agrees with that and believes that. But what makes saving faith is what's next. That's trust. That's submitting yourself to that truth. 
to saying, I believe that and I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe He rose again to give me victory. And God, in humility, I come to You and I beg You, God, please save me, not by my own virtue, but by virtue of who Christ is and what He's done for me. God, that saves me and that alone can save me. God, have mercy on my soul. And so many people stop short of that. They say, I believe Jesus. I believe Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, I believe He rose again. But have you surrendered yourself? Have you cried out to God in mercy and prayed, Lord, save me. God, change me from the inside out. So many people would rather hold on to their sinful impulses than to surrender fully to Jesus as Lord. Don't be that person. Don't be like the devil and believe this stuff, but not surrender to it. Paul says to everyone who believes, it's the promise of God, if you would just surrender and submit and trust in Christ, the power of God will save you. God's grace will rescue you. It's a powerful promise. But also, we have the assurance it's the powerful program of God. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes it. It's to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why the Jew first? Because God made a promise to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. God said, through you and through your descendant, literally through your seed, singular, all the nations will be blessed. God chose Abraham and his descendants to be the vehicle through which he would bring his law and through which he would bring his prophecy and through Abraham's lineage and his his race to bring the Messiah to this world to rescue the Jews, to save the Jews. But the good news is this, it's not just the Jews, it's also to the Greeks. It's also to everyone who's not Jewish. And notice what Paul says. He doesn't say, it used to be for the Jews, but now it's for the Greeks. No, he says, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. So that means God's saving plan is universal. It's to Abraham's descendants. It's to those of the other nations. And it's all through his son Jesus. It's all through the saving death and resurrection of Christ. It's all through faith in Him that God adopts us and brings us into His family, His body, the church, Jew and Gentile, one body. That's God's program. It's to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And hallelujah, that God can and and will save anyone Regardless of who you are, where you've been, what you've done, God will save you if you believe the gospel. It's God's program. It's got that kind of power. Last year I was at Boonesboro Campground and and Tommy and I were riding around on his golf cart. And I know he'll remember this because he got a big kick out of it. We We saw a truck pulling a camper and it was stuck. And the, the make of the vehicle will be unnamed out of fear that it may offend somebody who drives said vehicle. But there was a gentleman there and his wife, and they were struggling to pull that camper with their truck. And Tommy said, I got an idea. 
let's hook it up to my golf cart and we'll pull it you know and I thought there is no way if that truck can't pull that camper there's no way that golf cart's going to pull that truck pulling that camper but you know what it had that kind of power that tells you what kind of golf cart Tommy's cruising around in out there in Boonesboro it had that kind of power even though I doubted it it was there and pulled it right out you know, you think about the gospel, and you think, how in the world could just a message of me telling folks, hey, Jesus is the Son of God, He died on the cross for your sins, and He rose again, how could me telling that to anybody transform their eternal destiny? It, how could it have that power? It does. That power saved my soul through the preaching of the gospel and through my believing in it. That power has saved several of y'all's souls because that power came to you through that message, through that method, and the means of faith and believing was applied, and you were saved, and you are being saved, and you will be saved. The gospel has that kind of power. Whether you believe it or not, it does. So why on earth would you be ashamed to tell anybody? Why would you be scared to tell somebody a message that has that kind of power behind it? Paul wasn't ashamed because he knew he had assurance of the gospel's power, and so should we. Finally, we, we see Paul's not ashamed. He was eager to share the gospel because he believed that the acceptance of the good news was what was needed. How does the gospel save? How is this power of God applied to our lives? How does God bring this saving power down to us? Paul says the gospel is the power of God for salvation, verse 17, for because in it, in what? In this message, it's the power of God to save because in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. It's revealed. First of all, that word revealed. We, 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 we get the book of Revelation from that same word, to reveal the apocalypse in Greek. It means something that was always true, but people just didn't know it until God revealed it and God unveiled it. God pulled back the curtain and said, hey, here's the truth. In the gospel, God has revealed something. Revealed. It's a, it's a present tense word. It means God's still doing it. He's still revealing. That means the power of God is currently invading enemy territory in this world. The gospel is the power of God that is being revealed right now in our hearts and lives. It's being revealed in our church. It's being revealed in our community. And we need to get on board and speak it and share it so that it will continue to be revealed it's being revealed through God's people, the church. The righteousness of God is being revealed. It's, it's a passive word. It's a passive verb. It means God's doing it. It means God is allowing this truth to be known. It's divine. It's supernatural. It's a gift. We call that grace. By His grace, God is showing something that we need to know. He's revealing a truth. It's always been there. What is it? It's the righteousness of God. Through the gospel, Paul's not ashamed because it saves people by his power because in that message, God is revealing his righteousness. And what do we mean by that? 
What does it mean to be right with God? What does it mean to be just in God's sight? Well, first of all, it's a judicial declaration. Declaration. It means even though we're guilty, God is the sovereign judge of the universe, and His court of law has declared you not guilty. How in the world can that happen? How can God say, I'm guilty, but yet now I'm not guilty? It's because of the cross. It's because the punishment you deserve has already been paid for. Your, your, your sentence has already been fulfilled. When Jesus went to the cross, he bore your penalty. Your punishment fell upon the sinless, eternal Son of God, and therefore, because of his saving death, his atoning sacrifice, you've been declared not guilty. Even though you were, God says it's paid in full, not guilty. Because of Jesus and the cross, it's a declaration by God that you are now right with him. Nothing you did deserve it, but God in his sovereignty and by his grace has revealed you're now right with me because you've believed. But not only is it a judicial declaration, it's a radical transformation. It's God taking you as a sinner and now saying not guilty, and then God by his grace changing you. You are a new creation. God radically changes. He's taking out the old hearts, putting in a new heart, and God now saying, by faith, you are my child. So the saving righteousness of God means we've been declared right with God, and now we are right with God. Not by what we've done, but because God in His grace has saved us through His power revealed in the preaching of the good news. Somebody told you the good news of Jesus, you believed it, and then God says, you're no longer guilty. In fact, you are now a new creation. You are now adopted as my child. A radical transformation took place in your life if you have surrendered to the good news of Jesus. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it has that kind of radical power to, to transform and to make new through Christ's obedience to the law of God. He now transforms you by giving you his obedience. No longer you're just not no longer guilty, but now you've obeyed the gospel because of Jesus. It's a balance transfer. Your debt went to him, his righteousness comes to you, and now you've been declared by God righteous and you've been made righteous through this radical transformation. You are now right with God. You are now on good standing with God that's the heavenly revelation of the good news but also we need the human reaction because you see God has chosen faith we've mentioned that believing God has chosen faith to be the means by which the method of salvation is applied the saving faith first of all we see in verse 17, Paul says, the righteousness of God, how to be right with God, how to be on good standing with the Lord of the universe. It's, it's revealed in the good news from faith to faith. There's been a lot of interpretations over the years. What does Paul mean by that statement? From faith to faith. Perhaps it means a lot of different things. But I think the clearest reading of this text, the context would seem to indicate Paul is saying here we're made right with God from beginning to end the whole thing's faith none of its works 
None of it's effort on your part. It's all by the grace of God. It's all faith from first to last, from beginning to end. The whole thing is faith. And Paul's emphasizing this. In this opening chapter, we've already seen Paul talking about this. We have this beginning of a righteous relationship with God, and it starts with faith. It starts with you believing. You must believe the gospel. Paul says that, verse 5, his, his goal was to preach the gospel, to bring about the obedience of faith. means it wasn't there, but then it starts through the preaching of the gospel. Hearing the good news, and then God opens your heart, and you, you hear it, you understand it, and you embrace it. Saving faith, it starts with that. But also, it's sanctifying faith. It means it continues to be about faith. It's not just, okay, faith gets you in the door, but then you've got to make sure you stay good or God's going to kick you out. It's a faith from beginning to end, from faith to faith, a continuation of faith, a perseverance of the faith, the evidence of being saved, a faithful lifestyle that flows from faith. You're not made right with God because you do good stuff. You do good stuff because you're made right with God first. But if you're made right with God first, the doing good stuff flows from that. We could call that faithfulness if we'd like. It's the mark of being a Christian. A saving faith that's accompanied by a sanctifying faith where God sets you apart and God makes you holy and God begins to change your life and now you no longer want to do the stuff you used to do. It's like Jacob read in our scripture this morning, 1 Peter, and it says the world is shocked you no longer want to do that stuff. It's because you've been transformed. It's because it's by faith to faith. You know, I kind of liken it to this. It's like, as a, as a kid, your, your, your parent gives you a key to the house. And they say, you're welcome here anytime, and here's the key that will get you in. And so it's faith is the key that gets you in the house. But it's the right standing with God that then keeps you there. Because of your position you're now a child of God. You now have access into the throne room of God. You now have the privilege by faith. Faith got you in the door. And faith has transformed you and made you a child of God. And you're eternally welcome there now. So many people think, well, I've got to get in the door and somehow I've got to stay good. It's from faith to faith. The whole thing, beginning to end, it's faith. It's trusting God. It's saying, I ain't good enough. I'll never be good enough. But God, I trust that through Jesus Christ, you make me good enough. By grace, you make me worthy. And it's just me trusting that message. It's from faith to faith, from beginning to end. Saving faith and sanctifying faith, it's scriptural faith. Paul ends with this in verse 17. He said, it's from faith to faith as it is written. And Paul is saying, it's scriptural. And he quotes Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And Paul's already said his gospel isn't just something brand new, just created out of nowhere. It's rooted in the Word of God. It's rooted in the Old Testament. 
In, in verse 2, he talks about the, the gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Paul says, this is a continuation of what God promised in the Old Testament. Here it still is true. Paul says, as it is written, what I'm preaching, the same thing that's always been and always will be, Paul says. And he quotes Habakkuk and he says, the righteous man shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Being declared right with God and staying and being right with God and being just with God, the whole thing is by faith. You will have eternal life by faith. You will live a holy Christian life by faith. It's always been that way. It's a scriptural faith to say, I'm going to trust in God, and I am unworthy of God's salvation, but I believe God loves me. And I believe that God has paid the price for me and His Son. And I just believe that. And God will make me right by humbly submitting to Him. He said it's always been that way as it is written, and it's still true today, that our saving faith has always been saving faith. Our sanctifying faith, our faithfulness to the Word of God has always been the, the evidence and the outflow of a heart that's right with God. And the just, the righteous man, shall live. He finds eternal life by faith. And he will then continue living by faith because it's from faith to faith, from beginning to end. This whole thing, God's righteousness, how to be made right with God, has been revealed, and it's all about faith. It's all about trusting the power of that message. Therefore, we should share the good news of Jesus with confidence. Trusting God to work supernaturally. We owe allegiance to this good news. It saved us. We have the assurance of God's power working through that message. We also know that the acceptance of it is what is required from beginning to end. What God has revealed. You know, this week, most of us know it's Halloween. Halloween marks the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. We celebrated last year the 500th anniversary. 500th anniversary. So this year is what? 501. 501 years ago on Halloween, Martin Luther, German monk, nailed a, a list of 95 complaints against the Catholic Church to the castle door there in Wittenberg, Germany. And we've studied that uh, several times here and, and we, we've learned through that because of his stance, Martin Luther suffered a great deal of, of political and social and spiritual attack against him and his beliefs. But yet he stood boldly because he had a firm and a settled conviction about what he believed and what he was preaching what led him to that firm conviction? Because he himself was saved and radically transformed by the study of these two verses. 
You see, he was a professor in college, and he was given the responsibility of teaching the book of Romans to his students. And as he studied the book of Romans, he came to understand this great truth. Because you see, Luther, when he first read that verse, the righteousness of God is revealed, he read that as the justice of God. He read that as you had better be right with God or else God's going to strike you down. And it's from faith to faith. That means that you must continue in your good works or else God will judge you rightly. And Luther's like, how can God's righteousness be good news? It's the opposite. Until God opened his eyes to see this idea of from faith to faith, the righteousness of God, how to be made right with God comes to us through faith and trust that's the key he had it backwards all the way around that I'd better stay right with God no the only way to be right with God is through faith from beginning to end the just shall live by faith and faith in what the saving power of the good news folks God loves you even though you're a sinner even though you have rebelled against him, even though you deserve his wrath, his justice, you deserve hell. All of us do. But God loves you and he proved that love for you in that he sent his son to live a sinless life that none of us could live. He sent his son to be a perfect sacrifice and to pay our sin debt. None of us could pay an eternal sin debt from God and come away from that clean. We would spend eternity in hell paying off our sin Jesus came and did that for you. Not only that, he rose three days later signifying that God was satisfied. It was paid in full. It was stamped approved by God through the resurrection of Jesus. And all you've got to do is just receive that and trust in it. And it sounds too good to be true, but it's the power of God. It's all by faith. It's all by hearing, agreeing with, and submitting to this truth. Paul says he was eager to go to Rome and preach. Why was he so eager? Because he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. Why was he not ashamed of the gospel? Because it has the power to save folks. How can it save folks? Because the righteousness of God, how to be declared right with God, is then revealed through that message. And then we simply need to receive it in faith and continue trusting in it. And it's the way it's always been. It's the way it always will be. Therefore, we need not be ashamed. What we need to do is trust. Trust your God and tell His gospel. It's the bottom line. It's what Paul was doing. He trusted God. He told the gospel. That's what we need to do. Not be afraid. No matter the outcome. If you will trust your God and tell His gospel, you're going to be blessed. If you will trust your God and tell His gospel, the end result is Jesus will be glorified as He rightfully deserves. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we 